best friend Tiffany was like, where? No, I can't. Like, where are you? And I was like, I'm in the loony bin, girl. Like, how crazy? And she's like, a mental hospital? <laughs> You're currently in a mental hospital. And I was like, yeah, that is what people call this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, they were like, what's wrong? And I was like, yeah, I have been hiding the fact that I am severely depressed and have an anxiety disorder. Welcome to the Authentic Wellness Podcast. This is where I, Sophia, a real woman, speak to real women and some men about issues that matter to all of us. Now, without further ado, let's talk about it. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of the Authentic Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Antoine, your life and relationship coach. Today, I have with me the most beautiful Katrina Kincaid, and she's giggling, but you know what? She is absolutely stunning, and not only um, outside, but I can just see because I'm looking at her, so I have have the pleasure. She is also a beauty inside her. She smiles with her eyes, and I love that. So Mm -hmm. Katrina, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us, you know, what you want to talk about today. Yeah, so as you said, I'm Katrina Kincaid. Um, I currently work as a TV news reporter in Massachusetts, and I'm Miss North Shore with the Miss America organization, specifically the Miss Massachusetts Scholarship Foundation, which is our state organization. And I volunteer with Special Olympics. I, uh, I, I try to keep busy, <laughs> is what I've learned about myself, is that uh, I, I keep very busy. But I am able to do a lot of that because I used to not be able to handle everything I was able and doing very well. So I learned that I am someone who likes to stay busy, but as long as it is not compromising to my well-being. That is love that. Yeah. I love that. That that whole thing about compromising to your well-being. What does that mean for you? For me, that means putting myself first. And I personally don't see that as a selfish thing in Mm -hmm. life. Um, I think a lot of times we grow up hearing that something like that would be selfish to think of yourself first. You know, we think like, think of others, but I think a lot of times if you continue to do that, you stop thinking about yourself and what's good for you. And you can't help others unless you are being the best version of yourself and helping yourself first. So to me, that looks like checking in with myself, making sure that I'm able to do everything that I want to do for others. That's awesome. And you said that, you know, it's not selfish. Do you have any idea where we got this notion that thinking of ourselves is selfish? Because I I never thought it was either. But as I grew up, it was like, well, you have to do this for other people. You have to do that for other people. But if I'm not meeting my own needs, then what good am I for others? Right. Right. I've I've wondered that same thing too. I think the teaching around it really starts when you're a child. I think it starts more specifically for women and young girls than I think it starts Mm -hmm. for men. Um, But I don't know if I could say it comes from you know, sharing is caring, going a little too far. (laughs) And, and, you know, that including like sharing your mental health and, you know, like sharing, sharing your energy um, instead of just your Barbie dolls. Right. 
But yeah, I, I really wish I also could know where the switch comes to where we're, where we're taught that. But I, I don't know. But to me, I've always, I was in it at one point, like where I did think it was selfish to not say yes to everything because, mm-hmm. because I wouldn't be helping somebody or I, someone needed me for something. Um, and I, I don't know where, where I learned that, you know, like where we, a lot of times I think as women have also learned to, you know, not be selfish with our own well-being. Gotcha. No. And, and I think that's worth exploring because with you being um, a news reporter, you take in so much of everybody's <laughs> stuff from mm-hmm. I can only speak from what I see on television, but I think you get all of this stuff. You get your news stories and all of the bad stuff because honestly, I don't see anything good on the news except for these little 30 second segments. And then it's all back to doom and gloom. We're all going to die. The sky is falling. Right. So how do you deal with that? Um, it's a great question because I do and I have seen heard and been a part of a lot of hurt and a lot of sadness. Um, I have I have just seen some of the most heartbreaking things that families could go through and watched it from a distance and just had to report on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it is very hard. And I love to do the good, you know, thirty seconds <laughs> stories. That's what I try to do more of those community feel good stories. Um, but I just I just have to vent to somebody that I trust. Um, yeah lot of times journal about what I'm seeing and that unfortunately when we see the doom and gloom that a lot like that's someone's life you know Mm -hmm. that like as much as we can look at it and and see like oh the news has doom and gloom like that that really did happen to somebody like and and I like to think of it in a way of how can I report this not just like oh I'm being nosy in somebody's business let me tell you about their house (laughs) But like, how could you make sure that doesn't happen to you and your family? Mm. And I think that changing that mindset for me, that I'm not here to just report on tragedy, that I'm here to help you prevent this tragedy has helped my mindset when it comes to those things and thinking about them. And when I talk about them outside of work, I'm like, yeah, it was crazy that you know, this person's house burned down because their carbon monoxide detector like was broken. Like when's the last time you checked your carbon monoxide detector? How often should we check it? Like that, that has kind of kept me going when it comes to my mental health and absorbing all of those stories is okay. Yes. Check in, in the moment. This thing is very sad. It is okay to cry. How can I help others prevent this from happening to them? Makes sense. And as an aside, I have um, learned to check all of my household things, like my fire extinguishers, (laughs) my um, carbon monoxide detectors, all those things. I put it alongside uh, a holiday or something like that. So Mm. say Christmas time or New Year's, check it at least twice a year. So maybe I like to do Christmas in July. So I'll do my Christmas in July (laughs) and then I'll do it at New Year's. So, you know, you, you just learn to do things like that so if anybody's listening that that may be a helpful yeah. <laughs> please change uh, your um, fire alarms every every 10 years is when you should change those batteries yes. See, carbon monoxide alarm every year 
every see i mean you can really just check them out and you can make it fun yeah so, definitely have party, okay have party with the noise it makes <laughs> oh i you know just totally off topic i hate when somebody's doing a live or something like that and the thing is beeping yes i'm yes. like bruh <laughs> just change the battery already right i'm like okay so you know i guess it's working mm-hmm. But um, not in the way that I should hear it. Exactly. So, like, yeah, any any like TikToks I see or something, and I'm like, I'm distracted by the fact that you're not right. home. I Take start counting home. the seconds. I, right. I, I was like, when's the next one gonna be? Right. Counting. <laughs> how far away is the rainstorm? If I hear the thunder, then the lightning. So I'm counting the seconds. Oh, it's five miles away. So your thing's gonna beep in another five seconds. So you got totally like off topic, but fun. <laughs> They're so, and they're purposely obnoxious like that's they're supposed right. to be change them but not for me the listener <laughs> thank you i thought i was the only one i just needed you're to not. get it off my chest yeah so how did you become a beauty queen so when i was in high school i knew so i had already always watched miss america growing up with my mm-hmm. name really how it started was me and my Nana would like every year sit and watch Miss America, Miss USA and like try to figure out who could win and watch the dresses and stuff. So then I started watching Toddlers and Tiara when I was in high school. (laughs) And I remembered all these little babies winning all this money. And I was like, I'm about to go into college and Mm -hmm. have a debt. And if these babies can win money, I can win money. Absolutely. And, and I remember being like, okay, like, what do these girls do? You know, like I just watch Miss America on TV, but like, what do they do? And I remember I'd seen like some title holders outside and doing community events. So I was like, okay, cool. Like the Miss America organization is one of the largest scholarship providers to women in the entire country. Great. I need scholarships. Okay. I can sing. Okay. They do, they do singing, you know, they do talent. Let me, let me look and it was something where I saw a girl in my high school. She had been doing Miss Black Teen USA, and which was also a scholarship competition. And I asked her about it. And she was like, yeah, it's one of the best experiences of my life. Good way to get into pageants. And I did that. And that helped me realize how bad I was um, talking to people. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and like right. my individual stage and personal confidence, I was like, 15, 16 years old. Mm, gotcha. And I was like, wow, like, why am I not good at this? Like, I talk all the time. So <laughs> I can't I do this on a stage in front of people. Like, what's wrong? And I remember someone telling me, like, this competition and these these systems are for you to d- build yourself up and to develop yourself as a woman. Like, it's not for you to come in here and say, I'm doing this because I'm amazing at all these things, give me money. Mm. The point is to develop yourself as a young woman, give back to your community, and in doing so, become a leader and get some nice scholarship money. So, so I started doing it because I saw how much it was helping me with like job interviews. Like at at like 17, I could get a summer job anywhere because- Mm -hmm. The crazy questions that I had been asked in pageant interviews, I was like, well, at least on the job interview, I know the topic. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I really, it started when I was a teenager and I really loved all the sparkles, the glitz and the glam. 
And then I started figuring out more about what they were about and what they could provide me as a woman. And now here I am, uh, top 10 at Miss Massachusetts last year and Miss North Shore. So I love it. (laughs) So how important was representation for you seeing your um, classmate or another young lady in your school doing it? Did that kind of encourage you to go for it? Yeah, definitely. I remember growing up and seeing that all of the Miss Americas, almost all of them that I'd watched being crowned in Miss USA's were white women. Mm-hmm. And and one of the reasons I, I liked the Miss Black Teen USA um, was because we were all Black. <laughs> and I remember getting there in D.C. for the competition and being like, oh, my God, these are like beautiful, accomplished Black women. Like, yes, that's it. I love this so much. And it was a great experience. And then after I wasn't a teen anymore, I was like, okay, I'm in college. Like, what can I do? I did the Miss DC organization, which was also DC. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's very diverse. Yes. So the competition was diverse. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm not going to do Black USA anymore. I want to help get more women of color who look like me and who are highly melanated into this system. Like, let's infiltrate. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so like and then I remember like both years back to back that I competed like beautiful chocolate women won Miss DC and then oh. made like the top 15 or something like that at Miss America and I was like this is the infiltration guys like this is what we do. right let's go <laughs> let's I'm go. running the underground railroad for the pageant system <laughs> like come on we're on the we're on the come up <laughs> and I I took it I was recently talking to a state title holder in, in the Miss America system. And she said, I remember her saying like, it's really discouraging that only, I think she said like five Miss Americas have ever been black mm-hmm. out of like 93. And I said, you know, unfortunately you got to take a solid, like, I don't know, at least like 40 years where we couldn't even compete. Yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of calculate that in. Um, but it, and she's like, it's discouraging. And I was like, we can't look at it as being discouraging because mm-hmm. as long as it's unfortunate as well as it's unfortunate, we have to use it to encourage right. other women to get into the program to say, look, that number is going to stay the same as, as long as there's only two of us on stage out of 51 women. Mm-hmm. So, like that's, that statistic will happen until the Miss America system looks like America on oh, that stage. Yes and represents what America looks like, we can't change that statistic. We can't even get close to the statistic to change it if, if it doesn't look like that in the first place. And that starts with us being that representation for teenagers and young girls to want to be in the system, to want to look like us and want to be us and ultimately be Miss America. I love that logic. I, I do. Yeah. I try. I, I, it's what, it's my biggest, one of my biggest goals in the system is there's never been a Miss America before who was crowned, who's black and was crowned with natural hair. And I'm like, you guys know it's 20, you know, it's 2021, right? Like it's 2022. And, and I was like, I have to change that. Something about that has to change. Mm -hmm. A little girl who's watching Miss America with their Nana, like I was, is stands next to the television and is like, it's me. Like, That's me. I was just in the parade for First Night Boston with my friend in Miss Massachusetts, Liz, who's Haitian. She has beautiful braids right now. 
And I remember we're like running down uh, the streets of Boston, waving, screaming happy new years to people. And these two little black girls are like with their, their guardian. And I remember them looking up and Liz like waving to them, like looking at them and like being like happy new year. And this, this little girl looks up at like, the parent she was with and just like points to herself and is just beaming. Oh. And I was like, that's why we're doing it. This, right. this is why we're doing it. And then afterwards they followed us to where the parade ended just to get a picture with Liz. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were like, I'm so sorry. But like, and she was like, don't, don't be sorry. Like oh. this, that moment of like seeing them see themselves in her just by her being alive, just by her walking by them right. is, is why I use that discouragement of there only being five, I believe, Miss America's Who've Been Black to encourage other yeah. people. I want the back-to-backs uh, that yes. other systems happening where they're crowning Black girls back-to-back. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine what that did to their self-esteem? That's what I'm saying. To see oh. them, you know, as a queen, as a, as a princess. as and, and whenever I run up to little girls, I'm like, hey, princess, like, what's going on? Because, you know, you got to instill that early. You got to instill yes. that young, that you can be like us, like that representation, you could just see their eyes light up that they saw themselves as, as her when they got older. And I don't think there's anything more beautiful that pageantry can bring uh, than something like that. Awesome. And I, I definitely can, can see myself in in you uh, like I said we like I shared earlier I did do pageants when I was younger and I was the only one I don't know if you've ever heard of it because Barbizon was a like modeling school Barbizon. yes girl I am alumni yes I've but heard on yes yeah so I went in fifth grade I was the only little black girl in Barbizon in fifth grade and I was killing it. I mean, not to toot my horn, <laughs> but I was, I was killing it. But their makeup people didn't know how to do makeup for a black girl. Their hair people didn't know how to do hair for a black girl. My sister, my older sister had to come from New York to do my mm. hair for my pageants down oh my here God. in Florida because we couldn't find anybody there to do my hair. So I know what it means for them to look at you or look at your friend Liz and be like, this could be me. Mm-hmm. So that's absolutely amazing. That that does a lot, like for my mental health, knowing that there are more women out there doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So thank definitely. you. <laughs> thank <You're right>. you. <laughs> we are we are very happy to do it. And and the more of us who are there the better representation and stories that are told from the platforms that were afforded from being title holders. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's a name and there's a recognition that comes from being Miss So-and-so that you get and that you're able to go out and use and speak to the community and meet, meet more people who can see not only that you're a role model and that little girls can be like you, but also that you are changing the beauty standard that, right. that as much as we don't, like that we go on back and forth between using like beauty queen, but that like you are showing them like, I am a beautiful black queen. Right. That, that is what it, I am the beauty standard because I have this crown on and it is me who won. So you are going to look at me as the beautiful beauty queen who is a black woman 
that I am. Yes, you are. So <laughs> <laughs> let me ask, because this, this just came to me. Um, while you're reporting the news, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, a lot of Black women are now committing lots of crimes. Mm. How does that sit with you being a beauty queen or a title holder um, and having to report on that, knowing that Black women can do so much more? What, what does that make you feel? How, how does that sit with you? I think a lot of times, so I, you know, it's an interesting duality, right? Mm. Um, because personally, thankfully, in Western Massachusetts, where I live, we don't actually have a lot of crime happening. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. Um, we, we are a very small population out, out here, <laughs> the rest of the Western Massachusetts. Um, but I think that a lot of times I also have a sociology minor from the school I graduated from, from American University. And I look at a lot of crimes that typically are happening in impoverished areas as the sociological and economic problem mm -hmm. that's happening there and try to back away from the race of it. Okay. Because as, as much as, you know, to a viewer, you could say, oh, this black woman robbed this store, mm -hmm. stole diapers or whatever, right? You can also look at it and say, okay, what is the position that this person was put in that led them to do this? Right. But what socioeconomical factors led to this woman doing this? Because no one wants to commit a crime. Like, right. I'm sure there are some people out there, but the majority of the crimes of opportunity that you see, especially in impoverished and low-income areas that are primarily resided by people of color are not because people want to do the crime. Absolutely. It's the, some socioeconomic issue that is causing them to have to do said crime because they believe that that is the only option left at that point. Mm -hmm. So when I'm reporting on it, I'm like, okay, well, how can we tell this in the way that also explains why? Oh, nice. not, not just this person did this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, let's do a follow-up story about, you know, social resources in that community mm. or, or, you know, economic empowerment and economic legacy of Black businesses in that area. Like, what is happening that is causing someone to do that because I don't love the crime stories because I know, unless it's a genuinely crazy person, that whoever is doing it didn't want to do that. There's, there's don't they just didn't. So I think a lot of times when, and especially reporting in general, needs to be a lot more diverse in how we're thinking of why we're reporting the crimes we're reporting and and what language we're using when it comes to our reporting and especially reporting in communities of color. Wonderful. I mean, that make, you have broken it down in such a way that it makes sense to me. And I'm glad you have so much creative control because I live in Florida and mm -hmm. everybody <laughs> hears the stories about Florida. Girl, we get it in, in regards Florida, to- Yes. We get it in with these crimes. So yeah, I yeah, wish yeah. they did it like that. Yeah. 
yeah i mean it's definitely is it easy no um is those the stories that you know managers may want to be told no right but i think that it is our job even if you can't do it in the moment so obviously it's hard to talk about socioeconomics um when you are reporting solely on the crime that happens but what can you do in your everyday reporting and your in your story ideas that you pitch on a day where you don't have to go cover a fire or COVID or something like that? What stories are you pitching that will explain to your community a little more about the people around them? So like during Black History Month last year, my boss allowed me to every single, this was absolutely hectic, but every single day I got to do a different story on something happening in the Black community, like some historical person, some some organization that was helping people out, some socioeconomic thing. My last one, my last story of the month was on the Crown Act and natural hair and the importance in Black communities. Like, like when I'm not able to report it in the moment, I try to find as many moments as possible to report the story in general. That's beautiful. We don't have that luxury here because it seems as though they just want to tell it and they leave it out. And I, I wish there was some sort of follow-up or some way because um, it seems as though the other crimes are kind of justified in a way and mm-hmm. the crimes committed by people of color are just left there hanging for you to reach your own assumptions. Right. Right. But like also, right, we have to think about where is that coming from? Right. How many reporters are black? How many reporters of color are there? How many of these newsrooms are being led by people of color? Very true. I think that's a huge part of it. Like one thing that I try to make a point of is talking to young people and in college about who are of color, about why it's so important to have more of us in the newsroom, because Mm -hmm. that diversifies the way that stories are told and the language that we're using. So a lot of times when you have these like hit and go stories on crime and and yeah, like logistically, a lot of them can't be followed up on. Right. The news of the day is so hectic um, and what you get assigned, sometimes it's hard, but it's less hard if you have those voices in the newsroom saying that you need to do those follow-ups. Yeah. But if you don't have a voice in the newsroom, to say that, to say, oh, maybe we should look into that, then who's going to do the follow-up? You know, like, like the rant, you know, the, the white person isn't going to do it. Like, like they're not going to have that thought process to think, to think, to follow up on the socioeconomics of a low-income Black neighborhood and why people are, like, you know, why crime rates are up or why someone did that crime of opportunity. Like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. And if it is, it's very rare and I'm very thankful, but I personally have never seen it. Oh, Yeah. I, I can agree with that. Um, but again, your perspective, it, it really does open my eyes because I can tell you when Ahmad Arbery, the, and I hate that it's called the Ahmad Arbery trial because he was not on trial. He right. wasn't even there. But the lady that was reporting on it, she mispronounced his name. She called him Ahmed. And <laughs> and yeah, and it, it it really touched my soul. It made my soul itch. So mm-hmm. I shot them a, a message on, on Facebook. And I was like, if you could please pronounce his name. This is the pronunciation. I, I went that far. I mean, I wrote it out phonetically. Mm-hmm. And 
the next day she still they read my message because you know you can facebook is a snitch (laughs) (laughs) i saw they read my message but there was no response or nothing like that and the next day she still said ahmed and it was like the least you can do is pronounce the the young man's name properly at least so i just another venting moment i just wanted to say that to me at that point watch a different station you know what I mean? Like, yeah. to me at that point, if they are not listening and if you can tell that there's some sort of disconnect between what you're watching and what you should be watching, I would, I would see what the other state, cause I know Florida has, you know, at least three stations in every market. So I would, I would flip the channel. Like one thing I'm really big on, so I'm Muslim as well. And is having the anchors when they toss to my story not say muslim okay muslim muslim is a fabric <laughs> like, gotcha like, okay. but muslim is like we don't say muslim it's muslim mm-hmm. and i have made a point the entire time i've worked at my station to say okay when you read this story out here is the phonetic pronunciation of muslim. like it is it is just a disservice to the billions of people who practice mm-hmm. religion to to hear the correct pronunciation and then absolutely. actively choose not to do it absolutely wait i can't excuse your ignorance so it is our job as people who are reporting on these communities to do our research and to listen to the pronunciation of people in these communities like saying ahmad Aubrey's name correctly like saying muslim and and any other word or name that somebody tells you is the correct way to pronounce it right to, correctly because because you know why would somebody want to be in a field like if i was a young muslim girl and i saw someone on tv who i was watching being like and the muslim holiday of blah 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 i'd be like what what i don't want to be with this like right. who right. i want to go with yeah okay so <laughs> good good I mean that makes me feel better because I was like I, am I being anal but no because the least you can do in meeting someone or in in speaking about their religion or whatever the case may be anything that has anything to do with anybody is pronounce it properly right right and that's that's the least you can do right okay I feel better thank you so much <laughs> now do we hear of like young women and young men who are in school being like you will print like saying to teachers like you will pronounce my name the way my parents gave it to me mm-hmm. the way it's supposed to be pronounced I'm not this nickname I'm not this because you can't say my name correctly this is my name you will say it correctly and if you can't say my name correctly don't say it at all exactly and you that was me right. right that's the thing right with that case like if you if you're not gonna say it correctly and I've told you how to say it correctly, at that point, you're actually just being rude. Right. And I, I will not respond to you if you do not say my name properly. So mm-hmm. that that's just me. But <laughs> let me ask, because we just went off on a tangent there. Um, <laughs> let me ask, because I know you mentioned in, in our earlier communication that there were some mental health struggles that you experienced earlier in life. Can, do you wish to share more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very open about that. What can you tell me? So when I was 
about, I would say 14 or 15. It's pretty a blackout period for me. <laughs> when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I had very bad anxiety um, and depression. So my parents had gotten a divorce when I was a freshman in college, or they had separated when I was not in college, in high school, when I was a freshman in high school. And of course, like the apparently normal American thing to do, they put me in therapy. So I was in therapy and I remember I had anxiety. It wasn't anything that I was on medication for at the time. It was just like, you're a parent, you're going through a traumatic event at a very developing age. You should talk to somebody else about it. And I remember kind of after that really struggling in school and I would get very nervous. I would stop responding to teachers' emails. Like it would make me very, very anxious to the point where I was getting stomach aches. Like I was not going to school because my anxiety was impacting me physically at that point. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this right now. Like I remember sitting on my bedroom floor doing my US history homework and being like, I can't, I can't go to school tomorrow. Like I cannot keep living my life the way I'm currently living it in this like constant anxiety and fear of the world. And I'd had friends that had gone to mental hospitals, luckily, which sounds crazy to say luckily, but that's the only thing that started the conversation in my life about going to a mental hospital, about, about seeking help when you thought no more help was given to you or or there's no other help to be had for you. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to my mom and being like, hey, we have to go to the hospital. And she was like, what? It was probably like 1030 at night or something like that. And I was like, yeah, you gotta take me to the emergency room. She was like, what's wrong? And I was like, hey, I'm just not feeling the life right now, you know? Like, just not feeling where we're at. And she was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. And so, you know, and bless her heart for just like <laughs> me, like 14, 15 year old me and being like me and life, not loving each other right now. Right. Can we go to the emergency room? Like what? what? Looking back on it, I'm like, that was crazy of me. Um, but, but I, so we went and they called my dad and I remember like them being like, so like, what's, what's up? And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, but like, I'm anxious. I can't go to school and I can't function. Like I can't, I'm a very high functioning like everybody says I'm really good and I'm a star student and I'm talented and blah, blah, blah. But I like, I can't answer emails anymore to teachers. Going to school makes me afraid and I don't know what to do. And they were like, yeah, sounds like you're depressed. <laughs> sounds like you're depressed and you have anxiety and like, we're gonna like put you in a mental hospital for two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was definitely... Yeah, I was like between 14, 15, and 16. That that whole time period because of this is like kind of mushed together. Right. And I went, I was in there for two weeks because that is the minimum that you have to stay in like a inpatient facility, a voluntary inpatient facility, despite the fact that you're like, is this voluntary? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't technically, okay, volunteer uh, <laughs> to go in here, but- <laughs> I remember calling my friends from it because they take away all your stuff. Right. And I remember calling, but you could write down like phone numbers and stuff like that. And I remember calling like my best friend and being like, you'll never guess where I am. <laughs> <laughs> like such a goon about it. Like, I was like, <laughs> and I remember my best friend Tiffany was like, where, 
no, I can't. Like, where are you? And I was like, I'm in the loony bin, girl. Like, how crazy? And she's like, a mental hospital? <laughs> You're currently in a mental hospital. And I was like, yeah, that is what people call this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, they were like, what's wrong? And I was like, yeah, I have been hiding the fact that I am severely depressed and have an anxiety disorder. And so we're here to work on that, to figure that one out, because I'm not matching what people think of me. Right. Like, and, and we have to work through like where that is coming from, what the root cause of that, and like why I am so afraid of school, <laughs> like mm. of life at this point, which ended up being that I was afraid of disappointing people from from that you know what everyone thought of me from from that like high standard that everybody else had set for myself that I had I had also set for myself that with all of the pressures of I went to a very high performing high school shout out Wellesley High School like but we never talked about mental health the school never and most schools don't talk about how to handle the pressure that they're putting on you they don't Uh, they don't they it's, it's like a huge thing still I've talked to my former teachers and stuff like that before in high school and been like, how often are you guys like really talking to kids about how to handle all the stuff you're making them do? Like mm-hmm. the, the tons of classes with the have to do community service. If you want to get into college and you should be doing these extracurriculars, if you want to get into college and this is what makes a good student. Like we say all these things to kids, but we don't tell them how to handle those things. Right. And that was terrible for me. <laughs> like, that was something that I saw everybody else being able to do I saw it mm-hmm. and I just I just couldn't do it and I remember they they diagnosed me with general anxiety disorder and depression and I was like great but like what do we do like that's great give me the pills but like what do we do about this like where where does this come from and I remember going back to my therapist and her being like okay like I didn't see this coming from you. So like, where is this coming from? Like, what, what are you afraid of? And I remember just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm really anxious all the time over like, what if things go wrong? Like what, what if something goes wrong and, and I'm supposed to be really great at everything, but what if something goes wrong? And then, and then it doesn't go great. And then everybody thinks I'm a failure. And she's like, well, if you live that way, like, you'll never know what if something goes right. Like, yeah. And I was like, huh? <laughs> Mind blown. Huh? And she's like, yeah, you could have talked about this before you went to a mental hospital. But um, sure, we had to get in the situation to make that happen. But what if, what if things don't go wrong? Like, what if you went into it being like, okay, well, if everybody thinks I can do this, why am I not thinking I can do this? And why am I afraid that I can't? Clearly, I probably can. Yep. So why not wonder what happens if this goes really well? She's like, I'd rather you be much more afraid of like what comes next if this goes really well for you mm. than, than you never do so many of the opportunities that you want to do or or succeed in so many of the ways you want to succeed because you're afraid that it won't go well. And wow. uh, now I've done all the things I want to do. So <laughs> Amazing. And you know what? That really strikes a chord with me simply because I have a child 
that experienced much of the same thing. And when I tell you this child is talented, mm-hmm. she is talented beyond belief. She can sing, she can dance, she can write, she can draw. She, I mean, there's nothing this child yep. puts her hand to that cannot turn to gold. Yep. Mm-hmm. And- I'm I mean, and academically, she is smarter than I could have ever imagined. But when it got down to it, when it came down to it, it, she just kind of shut down. She just thought that we had this expectation, her and her her father and I, she thought her father and I rather just had this lofty expectation and it's not that it's just because she's so good at everything mm-hmm. yeah, and one day it just crumbled it does because one because then I don't know what you know about being a teenager but what in your head one day makes you go okay like what if I can't do these things right. like that everybody else is saying I can like what what is one what is the end goal for right. me all of these things because I think that's also something that eventually helped me kind of cope slash compartmentalize all the things I had to do in life is like I realized which is I understand is like an anomaly for many young people I knew I wanted to be a news reporter Mm -hmm. and so I started like just being like what do I have to do to get by to become a news reporter (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, like all right like I'll be good at all the other things but like main focus like the the goal isn't just like get good grades and then what get into college and then what I was like do these things to become a news reporter like (laughs) that's the goal but before that was happening when it was just when you're just in the thick of it and you're like you know the young achiever Mm -hmm. you know the kid who's like I was always above my reading level I could Mm -hmm. I I could sing I could play instruments I could dance I could act like I couldn't do math but It was everything but the math. Like, but I right. could do people were like, how can she do what? physics? Terrible at math. And I was like, great question. Like, so <laughs> when I get so time, I'll figure that out. I will I still have not. Um, my my thing on the physics thing, because it it really is true. That's the only thing I can do is is physics when it comes to like the STEM field. Mm-hmm. Um because to me, physics is realistic. I can see right. physics understand why if wind is blowing 10 miles against your car and you're going 60 miles like why that would impact your car's speed right okay gotcha but when you start mixing in like letters like get out of my <laughs> like <when> we... <laughs> it slopes and axes and yeah right. why yeah. to the second power raw <laughs> man and why do i care like mm-mm. gotcha that's uh, me too <laughs> yeah i feel like that's how we should teach math like just make it applicable i don't need to know mm-hmm. That's my, that's my math rant, but I, it's so much pressure in the, the thing is, cause my parents, my parents were the same exact way. They were like, Katrina, amazing. Look at the daughter. Like she can do it. And, and there's just, a, no one sits down and is like, you're so great. Like, how are you doing? Right. Like, how are you handling your greatness? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and not in like a braggadocious way, like, how are you mentally handling doing all these extracurriculars, keeping up with your classes, keeping up with your friends, like 
what are your goals at the end of this? Like, do you have goals or are you just working for other people's goals or the goals you think that other people have for you? Right. Or their approval. Or their approval. Right. Because I think my thing was, was fearing that the, what if the things that other people wanted me to do and that I wanted to do didn't work out because everybody expected them to work out. Mm-hmm. That, that made me depressed. <laughs> yep. That shut me down. Oh, that is such a light bulb moment. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. Cause I can tell you that it, it was exactly that for us as being her parents is um, we just expected her to be okay because she was so great. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So now I'm like, WTF, I failed as a parent. You're like, oh my God, you're doing so well. You must be doing Doing so well. Right. Oh my gosh. And, and it's not, you know, and it, it's not that way. And, and, and not to like my parents either. I didn't realize that, Mm -hmm. right? Like I didn't realize I thought I was failing. When I was having those moments in on the floor of my bedroom, trying to do work and just like can't or being afraid to answer emails, like I was just like, I, I am, what is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Like there must be something wrong with me because how am I able to, you know, student direct a play or whatever, but I can't answer an email to my English teacher. Right. Like what's happening here? And I, I remember like my, my best friend's favorite thing is like, remember when you, who I'm a news reporter, I've always been ahead at reading and, and, you know, literature and English in my sophomore year of high school, I completed a thesis, like a book review or something like that without any quotes. Oh, what? <laughs> right. In the paper and turned it in. And mm-hmm. my best friend was like, did you just do a book review without quotes? Like, what did you do? And I was like, well, Sparknotes doesn't give you the quotes. <laughs> just, just the gist. So, so let's be able to use the quotes. And like, red flag, right? Like, right. why is a girl who loves reading and loves literature and like analyzing, mm. like, why does she not have quotes in a paper? Like, about a, an art, like an author that she chose. Like, what? Red flag, but no. But no, you know what I mean? Like, everybody... At that point, it's unfortunate because I felt as though everyone just thought I was failing all of a sudden, like that I just like suddenly wasn't a good student. Like no one was ever being like, wow, you were doing so well. Like, are you, are you doing well? And if someone had checked in, I probably, I can't say that I would have been like, yeah, I'm great. You know? And I can't say that I would have opened up and said like, no, I'm not great. But I think that at least providing the narrative Mm -hmm. around checking in and and understanding like creating that light bulb moment that like a lot of these like amazing young children have so much pressure on them like they might be looking like they're doing very well but we need to put in some sort of like institutional check educational check to see like how your mental health is doing because I felt amazing I felt on top of the world when I was doing theater and when I was performing and things like that but like how are you feeling when you're like sitting on the bus on the ride home after work after school yeah that's the check-in we need it's like not the like oh my god that performance was amazing like how did you feel it's like the in the car like so like how did you feel today just in general like how how are you currently feeling 
That's an awesome idea. I, I think more of us need to do that, even with kids that don't belong to us. Mm-hmm. As, as much as you possibly can. I don't know why you would walk up to a random kid and say that, but maybe it's necessary. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but we have to find a way. We should do it. And I mean, and I think that it's important to not, because I've heard a lot during the pandemic and I report a lot of mental health stories, which mm-hmm. I like, but like, I, ooh, there we go. I hear a lot of people saying like, check in with each other. Here's the thing about checking in with each other. Um, if you are a stranger to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not suddenly going to divulge my mental right. health to you, right? So I think that, like, uh, the people you're checking in with, mm-hmm. you have to start off somewhere else besides, like, divulge your mental health to me. Right, okay. Because I think, especially when, as women, a lot of times, and especially as Black women, like, we are not a lot in time afforded or given mm-hmm. the time to to release our mental health and to prioritize and focus on our mental health because a lot of times we're taking care of others or focusing on achieving yes and I think that a lot of times when you're in that mindset like somebody saying like how are you doing you're gonna be like I'm great how are you good yeah yeah exactly like oh I'm good yeah like oh I have this thing coming up (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like, great because why would I tell you because mindset again if I if I tell you right you're like how are you doing and I'm like I am so burnt out and exhausted and I cry. Like suddenly someone's like, oh, okay. I didn't didn't ask for all that. I didn't ask for all that. that, Right. So I think that it's important to develop relationships with obvious, with people to get to that point. Because I know if I know teenage me wouldn't have told adult me what, (laughs) what was wrong. Like, unless I was cool with you and you decided to ask me about that, like, I can think of so many mentors I had growing up or like adults that I was that I was cool with that if they had probably asked me like how I'm doing mentally and like took a couple more seconds to not focus on like whatever we were doing like the play or mm. or like the art or something like that that I would actually have been able to say like yeah I'm I'm not doing well like I don't know why I'm doing these things but like I'm not I can't answer an email like is that weird you know but if no one's yeah. asking person's just focusing on whatever you know why they're your mentor why you're achieving with them like you're not going to suddenly tell them like oh man did you know I can't answer that email or like I didn't go to school because I had a stomach ache like what's up with that yeah so it, it sounds like what I hear you're saying and, and correct me if I'm wrong they were making sure you were okay enough to accomplish what they wanted you to accomplish but not were you okay right right gotcha. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very yeah, it's very much what I what I think I said earlier, where I was like, everyone says you're doing so well. Yeah. You're, but no one, you know, asks like, how well are you doing? Doing. Yeah. Gotcha. Like, that I think needs to be the conversation that's wrapped up in in that same conversation of like, wow, that was so great for you. Like, what did it take? I like I love when we interview. I feel like we interview. We get a lot of this from like athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't hear about it from like regular people where at least I've interviewed athletes and I've watched athlete interviews especially like if you look at Simone Biles in the last year yes where they say like oh that was really great like how did you do this trick or whatever and you're like oh I did you know you hear them being like oh that was blah 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 and then like they'll be like you know what toll is this taking on you or like how you you know how are you feeling I I hear so many athletes as I have in the past and still more now present talk about like 
oh man, that was really hard on me. Like I had, like I was exhausted and you know, there were days I wanted to give up. Like, I feel like that's a very like athlete thing. Yes. That I have heard growing up is them being like, there were days I wanted to give up and man, I was hard. But like, you don't hear that outside of the court in those interviews. Like that, that's like a normal, regular human thing. Yes, it is. And I, and I don't think we allow our, our athletes to be human. We no. always want them to be an athlete, um, Mr. America or Miss America sports mode. That's what mm-hmm. we want. And if, if they give us anything outside of that, they're no longer our hero. Right. I mean, look how hard so many people were on Simone when she was like, I can't do this. Like, I'm, I will die because I have the twisties. Like, yeah. my medal is not in the place for me to land that trick you all want me to see to win America medal. Like, mm-hmm. I will probably get hurt. Like, you know, we don't, so many people I saw on social media were like, why is she even there? She took a spot from blah, 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 blah. Like, oh my God, she's a human. She's a young woman in her 20s. Mm-hmm. like first before she is the goat she is the Simone Biles a 20 right. old young woman who has struggles of her own and has a life of her own outside of what you want her to do exactly exactly I was just like let sis live just let her do her right she's oh dedicated my- so many years of her life to this if once she was just like, look, I am not in the place mentally where right. I can represent your country that don't even really like me if we're going to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let's just right. live. <laughs> right. Naomi Osaka, when she yes. was in the house and everybody was like, she's rude. She's blaming it on the media. Well, sis, let her go. Like, she's right. issues that are happening. Like, don't pretend you can't see it. Like, let her say whatever she has to say and then fade quietly to wherever she wants mm-hmm. to just like, like homer simpson into the bushes right <laughs> she was real big had her moment and you know she's young enough that she'll continue she's already beat serena like let her <laughs> yes let her into the bushes herself if she needs to mm-hmm. like she deserves she, the rest she deserves it and and i and you know i don't think that it's not noted that these are two black women who are ethnic that I think contribute to this mm-hmm. uh, and the way that America and the world, you know, expects of them and looks at them. Um, but I, I think that the narrative was really talked about and if not at least put into people's heads about letting people focus on their mental health, that they are not performers for you. First, they are performers for themselves. Right. And if you can't get yourself together backstage, there's no way you can, you can go out there and perform. I completely agree. And if worse comes to worse, if you think you can do so much better, you go out there and hit that flip or hit that ball. And then we will have something to talk about. Right. Right. My favorite thing is when people are like, why does Bob like on TV, what news reporters, people love to call or email news stations thinking that they could do the job. And, and like, it'll be like, well, blah, blah, blah should stand this way and mm. tell the news this way and wear their hair. I could do blah, blah, blah. Well, we have a position open. If you think you're qualified, you're more than welcome to apply. Listen, like, I can't get my own green screen together, much less <laughs> trying to go up there and do that news. No. <laughs> like, unless it is a logistical or like a, uh, you know, a mispronunciation right. of some, like, 
the audacity of people I find all the time to think that they have the right to tell you how to do your job. They have the degree or the experience is just mind boggling. I I, I get it. I I totally get it. Like I said, I struggle with my green screen myself. Like is this lighting correct? (laughs) I have my own teleprompter. I'm like, I can't even read these. What is this correct? Is this grammatically correct? Like I get at 2.30 in the morning, someone's like, Katrina, Katrina looks cold today. Well, honey, it's 14 degrees outside and I didn't want to put on lipstick. So yeah, Katrina is cold today. Right. Who would like to come be Katrina in the cold and tell you where your local testing site is? You can do it. Mm-hmm. You can, but I will gladly sit in bed and watch you on you. TV. Right. And not even last outside that long. Right. So. Right. Good luck. So <laughs> Godspeed. Godspeed. God bless. <laughs> so it has been such a pleasure having you i have not giggled this much in a very long time so i appreciate it for those people who want to follow you or follow up with you where can you be found online so i can be found on instagram at katrina kincaid and on twitter at at katrina k news that's where i what i use the most and that's how i communicate with people the most that's where anybody who cares to listen to more of this? <laughs> or oh, see what I'm about to tweet you, girl. <laughs> That's where I can be found. Awesome. So I wish you well in all of your endeavors. And I hope we can speak again soon. Thank you. Me too. This has been so amazing. And I've loved speaking with you during this. It's been so fun. It, it's just what it is. I mean, I want it to just be a lovely conversation. While we hit on a lot of topics, I just like having real authentic conversations because you've helped me. Like you just, li- you if you had a couch, I was <laughs> laying on it. I was, I was drinking some water feverishly. I was like, oh, she's making my life make sense as a parent. <laughs> so thank you so much, Katrina. I, I, again, I just can't thank you enough you've opened my eyes and I hope for our listeners, you've opened their eyes and made it so they will reach out to those in their life that that's probably struggling or they don't know they're struggling, their secret struggles, you know, cause that's what most of them <laughs> are because we're afraid to talk about it. But yep. No more. No more. I, I hope that if there's anything people can take away, it's that, you know, people are struggling. The golden child is struggling. Mm. it is more than what you see on the outside and it takes more than just asking them hey how you doing today to to understand where that's coming from but it means so much if you work to build a relationship where that person wants to tell you what's going on because we would be foolish to think that all these superstars are also doing well. Right. They just make it look easy. They just make it look easy on TV. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you everybody for listening and um, reach out to Katrina because she is absolutely amazing. She is such a doll and I can't believe she's not in high school because when you see her picture, (laughs) oh my gosh, she looks like a little baby. Oh my gosh. So follow her, support her, because she, look, she's blushing. 
I'm I'm waiting to hit my okay. So this is my like hot take, right? So you know, like black don't crack. We know that. That's a fact. Right. So, but I'm waiting to hit because people say that, right? People are like, you look so young. Um, I'm when I'm almost 25. I've heard Ooh, almost 25. <laughs> really? I look coming on. I'm so old. <laughs> so I so I I've heard that the the plateau, like the baby face, but you look like you're you're like 25 until you're like 45, right? Mm-hmm. Because I I see your picture. You cannot say anything about me. You're in this plateau where you hit 25 and you look that way till you're about like 60. And yeah. and then and then you look like you're 35 until you're about like like maybe like 70, right? So wow. I'm waiting for this, you know, look to like sharpen the tr- bones to go in a little more I think that'll hit around 27 and then I can't wait to look this way like you until I'm like 70 (laughs) touche touche so yeah on that note guys follow (laughs) Katrina because she's she's a mess I am a mess you love her and you know what she's she's no longer a guest she's family so she can come back anytime thank you thank you Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Authentic Wellness Podcast. We've had the conversation. You have the information. The question is, what are you going to do with it? See you in the next episode.